0: Welcome to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you folks for joining us this week on the Crude Life Week in Review. On today's episode, we talk with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. He gives us a Davis Refinery update, which is being constructed in the Bakken Oil Field near Belfield, North Dakota. It's close to some major transportation distribution arteries. They got the green light, so they're going to start breaking ground very soon. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. Plus, Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association talks about the importance of water and innovation in today's shale plays. Also, Mr. Jeff Simon gives us an update on a few pieces of important legislation that recently passed that's going to impact the industry and kind of send ripples throughout the economy. Then we conclude the program with Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm. He talks about the importance of the ecosystem of activity in today's energy world of media, marketing, social communication, the whole deal on ways to communicate with one another within the energy industry. Excellent program today our week in review, the Crude Life Week in Review. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association, and Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm. All that, plus much more on today's episode of the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason
1: Spees, and you're listening to the Crude Life Week in Review.
2: So now the shark's
3: in the water, babe.
1: Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking with construction resuming in early 2019, the Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason
0: Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, William Prentice, the CEO of the Meridian Energy Group. Zoning people, I've talked to Billings County commissioners, I've talked to local residents, and everybody seems to be moving ahead. And then all of a sudden you get someone in South Carolina that's got a problem, and we got to do something about it. Are you guys just about fed up or what? <laughs> I guess is probably my question. Um, anyway.
3: Well,
4: you know, we get these stories once in a while, and, you know, people are out there looking for things to report about. And so when somebody files another appeal or something like that or expresses a concern, uh, people, are, people know that there's an interest in hearing about the Davis Refinery, so you'll get a story. Um, I kind of look at it as an opportunity to tell our side again. Uh, So, yeah, I I get kind of tired of going over the same points all the time, uh, especially (laughs) when it's, you know, like this recent appeal on the Air Quality Permit. You know, we get frustrated by that, and I just wonder why, you know, the same set of facts needs to be looked at over and over and over again. But again, you know, it's another opportunity for us to brag about how clean this refinery is. Uh, it just recently came up that, you know, somebody was very concerned about air pollution at, at the park. And, you know, I, nobody paid attention when we brought this up the first time a couple of years ago, but it's very simple to run the numbers and determine that air pollution from the, you know, 700,000 or so cars that visit the TR National Park every year, that air pollution is by far greater than the air pollution that will be caused by the refinery. Um, People are astonished to hear that, but it it gives us an opportunity to put it in perspective that, yes, this is a brand new kind of refinery, and it does not emit even one-tenth of the emissions of any other refinery in the country on a per barrel capacity basis. Um, it's more like the amount of pollution from uh, seven or eight uh, uh, pump jacks out in the oil field. Uh, It's just a very clean plant, and uh, we can prove that it's that clean.
0: I'll tell you, Um, I think the oil and gas is in a very unique position right now in in, in the timeline of everything because— you know, I'll, I'll be honest. The oil and gas industry has been in a tough position because they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. They're one of the kings of the economy, and so the big guy always gets picked on if they're trying to do good or whatever. And so, um, the way the <clears throat> the way environmentalism has gone, the 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 drive behind it is, I feel so confident in saying it's now gotten to a religious status to where. You have enough people blindly following it without really giving any depth of thought behind it, to where you actually at the Remember the Dapple protest? There was rubber bullets fired, and the um, the old veterans got on the other side. So you got you know m- military type environment. So the 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 holy war drums are beaten type thing. So when I look at it though, the reason I say it's become like a blind a blind type following is a lot of these protesters are not actually. Trying to help the planet, they're just pointing fingers and <clears throat> pointing at problems, and you know, drinking Keurig coffees and texting on their iPhones and driving their electric cars. Electric cars are powered by coal. iPhones take about 28 rare minerals that you know that mining on the earth is not you know that type of thing. So the whole new wave of environmentalism is based on just ridiculous in my opinion, to where I think the oil and gas industry has a great opportunity right now to say, we're the only ones saving the planet. We're the only ones trying to help the planet because everyone else is just pointing fingers and not doing anything about it. So I I, I, like, I love what you guys are doing because this is one of those examples of, here's the oil and gas industry truly saving the planet because you know as well as I do, what's going to happen is this is going to have a reverse ripple effect and you're going to see a lot of refineries over time, say over the next 10 years, implementing roots and seeds of your guys' technology into their plants. Am, am I out of line for saying that, or is that kind of what you see? You've been in this business a long time, and they constantly seem about self-correction in my mind.
4: Well, you know, I, yeah, I've been in the energy business my entire career, and I've not always been proud of the facilities I've worked on. And that was part of what I wanted to accomplish here at Meridian and, and the rest of my colleagues here. We want to do this in, in the right way, and and we consider ourselves uh, missionaries, if you will, that you can take the, the uh, conventional energy business and make it green. Um, you know, it's one thing to be in here swinging and trying to make things happen that are that are gonna clean things up. And it'd be nice to get some advice and help once in a while. And then, like you point out, you know, you get a lot of people that observe what we're doing and then jump in their SUV to drive to a meeting to call us a bunch of criminals for building a refinery. Um, You know, it just, it, it lacks credibility. And I think a lot of the people that we are hearing from as opponents are somewhat hypocritical. It's been my view looking at what we're going to do to change this industry, that if you are an environmentalist and you do not support this refinery, you're a hypocrite. Uh, we're going to be making it necessary by by building this plant and putting it into operation. We change the definition of what best available control technology is and we make it absolutely necessary for every other refiner in the business. To gradually come over and, and do things our way as they modify and upgrade their plants. Um, it also raises the bar for any brand new refineries, whether we build them or not. Uh, if we build them, I mean, you know, Davis is going to be the cleanest on the planet when it's built. Uh, Walton Station down in Texas is going to come online about a year or so after Davis. At the time it comes online, it'll probably be a little bit cleaner because we'll have learned things too. But everything is going to get cleaner. And conventional oil and gas can and will now start to clean up its act.
0: To listen to the full-length interview with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, or to listen to other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, click on our social media tab. Be one of our 350,000-plus social media followers. That's thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. My name is Jason Speece, and this
1: is the Crude Life Week in Review. Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
5: I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts.
3: Key for a killer with your ponytail and your baby
0: blue eyes. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for joining us. Coming up next, Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association.
2: Hi, this is Jeff Simon. I'm the executive director of the Western Dakota Energy Association.
0: Thank you very much for joining us today. A couple of reasons to have him on the program. One is to talk about some of the Things affecting oil and gas. We just had a legislative session in North Dakota wrap up, and a couple things came out of there of interest. And then there's that state of Washington ban of uh, not ban, but just some new regulations that might turn into a ban, I guess. And then also, um, you are just down in a conference in, in I believe it was Oklahoma. So let's start off with that a little bit. I took a look at the itinerary. Actually, I knew about a half a dozen people that were down at that conference. In fact, I'm interviewing an attorney from Norman, Oklahoma. She does a lot of water issues, and you know this. uh, Boy, water is one of the most under-reported, under-talked about, and I I don't want to use the word issue because I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill here, but it doesn't take too many tea leaves to see that water is one of the big important issues going on in the oil patch right now. Would you agree with that or disagree? Just I guess we'll start off, uh, comments on water and then down to the conference. How's that?
2: Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> you know what they always say, water's for drinking, and, and uh, or whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting, I think is the old line. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, uh, water was a big issue this past session. The, uh, the Water Commission budget is nearly a billion dollars, and that's going to fund water projects and as well as flood control projects in North Dakota both of which are, are a really big deal here um, you know uh, produced water is uh, was kind of a, a, an issue as part of the uh, the pore space legislation that came out of this past session that uh, that c- kind of turned turn into a sort of a sleeper issue it didn't not too many people saw that one coming mm-hmm. um, but I mean what it amounts to is a, a Supreme Court decision in 2017 took, into consideration legislation that was passed in 2009 that dealt with actually it was contemplating you know the idea of carbon sequestration the whole co2 storage idea and it uh, took a look at that in the context of uh, oil and and uh, you know produced water wastewater disposal wells and potentially pulled into play the prospect of requiring oil companies to compensate uh, landowners for oil that is uh, discharged or injected reinjected back into the same unit from which it's produced which you know it's a long t- long-standing kind of common law sort of thing that companies are allowed to do that they, they do have to pay for surface disturbance but not for the uh you know the use of the space underground to inject the water that, that was resolved so
0: how about down at that conference down in oklahoma um i noticed there were a few Bakken presenters, specifically from North Dakota, um, I just a few two or three off the top of my head. Uh, did did the Bakken and North, and North Dakota have a pretty good presence down there at that conference that you attended in Nor- in uh, Norman, Oklahoma? IOGC, what what was the the yes. whole? Yes. Yeah. The, uh,
2: State Oil and Gas Compact Commission. It's basically the National Association of State Oil and Gas Regulators. And it was actually, it was in downtown Oklahoma City is where it was was happening at.
0: That's Um, it. Sorry about that. Not Norman, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Okay.
2: You know, the the main public program really kind of kicks off with something that's kind of cool. It's a a roundtable where um, each of the uh, regulators from the states and provinces, there were, I believe, five provinces from Canada uh, presented as well there. Um, They all get six minutes, you know, to kind of give a rundown of uh, what's going on in their state and uh, obviously lynn helms our guy here from north dakota the department of mineral resources was there and talked about you know what we got going on in north dakota i mean we're uh, kind of boom times right now 1.4 million barrels a day 2.7 bcs of gas a day Um, you know and and they all talked about you know kind of the state of their industry a lot of them are looking at uh, abandoned wells Um, it was really remarkable I, i think probably a third of the the presenters talked about these abandoned wells that uh, a lot of times they, they just don't have a handle on where any of them are. Um, I believe it was the state of Ohio they actually found one underneath a school. No kidding. There was kind of a methane seep going into the school, and it was actually the school had been built over an abandoned gas oil. well.
0: Well, I, I was talking to a guy who was down at the conference, and he told me about another gentleman who in, the, in this Ohio thing where they're using this $27,000 drone, basically, uh, plus to go find these abandoned wells so did yeah. was was there a lot of talk about the drones and uh, the or UAS UAV whatever the you know correct terminology is but North Dakota of course being one of six test states helping set the rules and regulations surveillance oil and gas being one of those was that mentioned down there at all kind of some of the drone talk
2: absolutely okay. yeah that's a big part of the technology you know that's really kind of uh, you know, what the, a lot of the states are trying to do is just to get a handle on it right now. I think North Dakota pretty much knows where they are. I mean, the drilling just started here in the 1950s. So, uh, you know, they have a pretty good handle on it. But some of these other states, I mean, these are these are pre-turn of the century. And I'm talking the 1800s to 1900s turn of the century wells that have been there for more than 100 years. Uh, but, you know, if they haven't been, you know, properly plugged, they're, they're a hazard. And a lot of these states are Still trying to get a handle on that. It's kind of remarkable.
0: I saw that um, EERC, <laughs> the Energy Environment Research Center, was represented down at the conference too. What were they talking about?
2: Yeah, well, Jay Omley was there. From oh, it was EER. Jay, okay. Jay uh, Jay leads the project uh, called IPipe, uh, Integrated Pipeline uh, Technology. I can't re- recall exactly the acronym, but it's uh, you know it's using technology to identify and to prevent. Um, possible leaks, pipeline leaks. That's really the target of it. You know, it's this kind of shark tank sort of, uh, project where they look at some of the best ideas and then fund them through the oil and gas research council here in partnership with, I think they have eight different industry partners now looking at ways to, um, you know, to prevent pipeline leaks to, you know, I mean, pipelines are 99.999, something like that percent safe. But there's, you know, there's always an issue. So they're looking at uh, technology and ways to do that. It's a, it's a really a fantastic project, and they've, uh, they've got some, you know, promising prospects to, you know, to, to identify these leaks before they happen. Looking at pipe integrity and, and uh, some things like that. They've got golf ball sized probes. They can actually, you know, they're sensors that go through the pipe, and then when they bring them out, they're full of data that can uh, be interpreted to, uh, you know, to identify potential hazards. They're using satellites. Uh, there's a company called Satellytics. Uh It's it's really quite fascinating, and it's a growing project. It's a multi-year project, so it's gonna it's gonna go on for a little while longer.
0: Anything about big data going on? Because a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, of course, leads to big data. Big data, however you want to describe it, that's been a term in the industry for about five years. It's um, mm-hmm. it's growing, you know, and and you know how how it goes. That stuff's exponential. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere. We just might start hearing about it as the new normal is just that sort of thing, much like how the UAS UAV talk has been going, you know, pretty soon we're going to be able to pinpoint specific, you know, blight on a potato plant and a little remote censored real-time robot will go out and perfume mist the potato blight and that'll save a small fortune on pesticides and everything else. Uh, how, how advanced is the big data talk I guess was there any of that talk down there just from what you were saying just i was going oh well there's layering in big data right now
2: yeah yeah they really are yeah you know. a lot of the companies talked about their IT efforts and modernizing their database some of them are using you know relatively old technology um, and um, they're looking uh, the, the regulators are looking at you, you know I think um, a lot of your listeners Jason, are probably familiar with the frack focus website where, you know, they, they kind of built a clearinghouse on hydro, hydraulic fracturing technology and and disposal and all sorts of information. Well, the, the oil and gas regulators are looking at building a database of kind of best regulatory practices to, to kind of get a handle on this, what they're doing in terms of using technology and, and uh, analyzing data to, uh, to spot trends perhaps. And, you know, uh, it's, it's all fascinating. Technology is, you know, we all know it's growing exponentially, and it's it's a continuing challenge to kind of keep a handle on it. But it's definitely a definitely a talk among uh, the industry regulators.
0: Well, for me, it's it's the validation of, and you know this because you were around back in the day of when the John Gibsons of One Oaks and the Harold Hams and the James Volkers of uh, of um, Whiting would make an, you know regular appearances out to the Bach and and talk about the paradigm shift happening in oil and gas. This was back in 2014, probably, maybe 2013, where they were openly just saying, this is a paradigm shift that's going on. And this big data, big data is part of that because what you're talking about now is next year or the year after, all of a sudden, at the click of a button, you're going to have all this regulation data just at the, like I said, at the click of a button that you're going to make these decisions in real time for people. It's going to be amazing. Over the next two, three years, What's going to happen in oil? I don't think people understand the industry is just in the infant stages right now. <laughs> well,
2: true. And, and that, that especially, I think, pl- applies to completion technology. Totally.
0: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> Some major, major changes. I mean, just in the past uh, two, three years here, uh, you know, there are, there are wells. And granted, it's good geology in North Dakota that they're dealing with. But there are companies that are bringing on wells that are that are unbelievably bringing 10,000 barrels per day of initial production.
0: Mr. Jeff Simon, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick pause. We come back. Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life in Review. <laughs>
3: Welcome
0: back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association.
2: Unbelievably, bringing 10,000 barrels per day of initial production. It's just an astonishing amount of oil that's coming out of, you know, you you maybe have heard about that in an offshore well, but uh, for an onshore well to produce 10,000 barrels a day is remarkable. But it's just how far they've come with, you know, completion technology and hydraulic fracturing. It's more precise. They know, you know, where the formation is. They stay in the heart of that formation. Um, And, you know, it's it's just amazing. They're talking about, you know, right now, Um, getting between recovery rates of 15 to 20 percent and you know when eor comes down the road enhanced oil recovery in a decade or two or i mean it's in the it's in the development phase now but you know uh there's a day when we're going to get a whole lot more of the oil out of those formations so we're the industry is going to last here in north dakota for many decades to come
0: i know a few years ago i used to run ads with my my son talking about how you know it's a first generation company my son's going to take over because that's how long the Bakken shale play is going to be and you know he goes to industry events he was at the Williston Basin Conference a couple years ago he goes to the Bakken barbecue every year with me he goes to all these public uh, oil and gas events is getting to know the people and he's only 13 now and yeah. yeah and the reason for that is I truly believe that these interviews and this program and this brand and Everything is going to be all part of the next 30 to 40 years because that's how long the, the industry is going to be with what we know with the current technology. Now, when we start integrating in what's going on up in the ERC and the Bakken with, say, some of the technology they have going down in Midland, Texas, where they're trying to take the natural gas that's being flared down there and turn it into a way to make water to irrigate the desert. Can you imagine once that technology gets figured out and another shale place can integrate it in? That's what I love. Is that like what what the Bakken is doing is eventually going to end up in other shale plays? That's kind of the idea, right? Is that? Well,
2: yeah. Yeah. You know, and the uh, yeah the technology just I mean it just continues to advance. Who knows who knows what's coming down the road? But you know for the for the uh, uh, the keep it in the ground crowd, I think you know they're they're sort of in denial if they think we're going to be. Um, you know, somehow abandoning the use of oil any time in, uh, in the near future. Uh, you know, there's just no, no substitute for the energy density that you can get out of a, a barrel of oil. I mean, you think about imagine trying to fly a, a heavy cargo plane or, or move a locomotive on electricity. It just isn't going to happen. You need that density of that fuel right now, and there just is no alternative being developed. So that's why I say the industry is going to be around for many decades to come. I think your son's grandchildren will still be using oil. So,
0: uh. oh, I, I agree. I mean, at, at the very least, it'll it'll be a ve- it'll be a dominant niche. In fact, I don't even think it'll be a niche in the next hundred years. We're so far from getting off oil and gas because it's just so much a part of our life. In so yeah. many different ways, from transportation to construction to, geez, even, even our currency is, yeah, is, is so very nice. much plastic-based, you know, but, you know. And
2: speaking of plastic, yeah, that's the, the other thing that people don't uh, often think about, that a big portion of that barrel of crude oil is turned into products that we use every day, plastics and, uh, you know, various forms of nylon and uh, all kinds of different synthetic type, uh, well, you would think they're synthetic, but they're not. They're, they're made from organic
0: material you're going to get a kick out of it. You know, we're of course non-political. Whenever we talk a little politics, it's generally after something has been done and we bring on somebody like yourself who tracks this stuff on a day-to-day basis. And it's there's enough programs out there that cover the day-to-day. So we want to just find out what happened and then how to process it and move on. So we don't cover a lot of the political stuff in terms of that, you know, day-to-day type thing. But the one thing that we do believe, and this is not a political statement, it's a fact, that the religion of environmentalism has gotten so extreme that they're out there in crazy land. And, and I actually am not trying to be bombastic or sensational. I just, my, my evidence is this, and, and you'll get a kick out of this because you know how hard we try not to be political here, so this is going to sound political, is you have two presidential candidates, legitimate presidential candidates. Now, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are considered legitimate presidential candidates within the Democratic Party. Now, whether they're Democrats are legitimate or not, that's a whole different argument. But for, for argument's sake, you have two presidential candidates that are talking about in their platform, we want to ban drilling. That isn't an actual insane comment. To me, That that, that is like, the guy with the Merlin head that runs for president every year talking about dragon legislation. That's the same exact thing that I can't believe the media would actually give Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren a platform after they come out and publicly say, I'm going to ban oil and gas. Now, I, I get it's fun to be involved in politics and everything else. But I got to ask you, Mr. Jeff Sivan, is, is, is that a crazy statement to say I'm going to ban oil and gas?
2: Well, I don't I don't know if it's crazy. It's pretty darn stupid. But, um, you know, I, the idea, I think Bernie Sanders has said, yeah, he wants to ban hydraulic fracking. Well, a president can't ban. That would have to be an act of Congress that would do that in the first place. So it's it's sort of outlandish to begin with. But, I mean, you consider the alternative here. I mean, we, uh, I, I, I don't think you'll find anyone that will argue that oil isn't essential to our modern society. There is just absolutely no way modern society can function without oil. It provides 96% of our transportation needs in forms of jet fuel, diesel fuel, gasoline. Um, So what's your alternative to that 96% right now? You've got a few electric cars on the road. So, I mean, here's the choice. You You can get your oil from domestic production, or you can have it come in in a tanker from Saudi Arabia and then, well, then you can fight foreign wars and continue to worry about stability, instability in the Middle East, things like that. That's really the choice here. You know, I think that's that's the difference we've seen between the Trump administration and the Obama years is that, you know, Trump has really unleashed domestic production in this country to the point where, I mean, we're literally energy independent here. We don't have to worry about what goes on in Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or another of these countries where we have been dependent on oil. Uh, well, that's a real political question that needs to be. You know, that's the, that's the political reality of this thing.
0: Well, and for me, this is where we're going with it. We actually, at The Crude Life, we have a thing this summer coming out called the, the, the Earth's Champion that we, I actually believe, and I'm not kidding, I, I believe this, the real champions of the Earth right now is the oil and gas industry. They're, they're the only ones that are truly trying to invest in technology to continue the way of life and make the planet greener. Um, I, I I think that the environmentalists have gone so far extreme, much like you know there's a lot of right right side people too that have gotten extreme too. So I mean it's just it's it's kind of a balance if you will to where they're they're no they're, they're no longer even trying to get rid of plastic bags anymore. It's just all right get rid of drilling. It's just like they're not even worried yeah. about a compromise anymore, and that scares me that you've got two presidential candidates that can just feel confident enough to make. You know, sure, crazy might be a bit strong, but outlandish, I think, would be more of an accurate term. Um, uh, Unrealistic is definitely it. It'd be the walking dead without zombies in three days. And, you know, but when you look at what's going on in Colorado and now with the state of Washington, there is, to me, there is some concern within the environmental movement to where they're getting a lot more foothold, to where I think the oil and gas industry really needs to do a job of promoting right now because they are legitimately really trying to save the planet, whereas other people are pointing fingers mostly. That's just from what I've seen over the last probably seven years covering this industry on a day-to-day basis. You're pretty involved with that. Um, Do you think I'm going off the deep end, or have I got something to it there?
2: You are right on target. Um, And I'll I'll tell you, just, uh, you know, we mentioned that oil and gas conference. Lynn Helms, uh, our... uh industry regulator here in north dakota used the term consumer states you know and it was in the context of what we'd mentioned at the outset of the interview here about the washington state legislation you know really uh, i mean the the consumer states um particularly those on the west coast they have a choice here you know and, and it was pointed out in the in the uh, debate over that legislation out there the the legislation we're in we're talking about would um it wouldn't as you say, necessarily ban crude oil imports by rail, but it could potentially curtail them if they were to ramp up in the future. But the the choice really for Washington State again there is, do you want this crude from domestic sources where it's creating American jobs and people are paying American taxes, or do you want it to come in through Puget Sound, on, a, on an oil tanker from the Middle East. And that
0: was Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. the crudelife.com. That's the crudelife.com. Life Media Network has a very robust social media network, 350,000 plus. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All of those social media links can be found at the crudelife.com and click on the social media tab. My name is Jason Speace and this is the Crude Life Week in Review.
3: Come falling down on me.
0: Every
3: time I, back to
1: Every time I roll back town. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the US in over 40 years innovative the cleanest most technologically advanced downstream project ever the model for future shale basin projects groundbreaking with construction resuming in early 2019 the davis refinery jason speese the most trusted voice in the bakken
5: i totally agree with you and the word that you brought into this is fact you tell the facts
0: Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Josh Swanson. He's with Vogel Law Firm, and he's also the host of the North Dakota State Bison Illustrated podcast. I, I think
6: the perfect word you used, Jason, was ecosystem, because I think there's a train of thinking that between the old school traditional radio, which both you and I love and have a passion for, along with the podcast, it doesn't have to be an either or. So I I know for me, a lot of times when I'm working during the day or doing phone calls or interviews, I like to to catch up on the news that would be on the, the normal radio stations by listening to the podcast when I'm driving into work or driving home from work or even driving to and fro for meetings during the day. So I think that's the perfect word as an ecosystem. And that's, you know, it's mutually reinforcing. And that's what we've looked to do with the different channels of content we've created, whether it's the radio show, the podcast, and and then the, the magazine and the website. We have that bisonillustrated.com. So the, the more different channels of, of content and distribution platforms that somebody can have, that's that's what appeals mean where i think we're on the same page how valuable it is to get the message out there because whether it's you know someone like my grandpa or my dad maybe driving the, the the pickup in central north dakota between fields or driving out in alexander or tioga or ray in western north dakota or someone my age or even younger the kids at let's say ndsu or bismarck state's energy center of excellence right now who might be learn to podcasting when they're you know I know for me when I'm running at the the YMCA getting my miles in every day I've got a podcast on and I'm catching up and and I think there are so many advantageous platforms for for whether it's you or me to reach listeners and tell the story especially in the oil and gas industry and the work you're doing and the work we're doing at Vogel Law Firm where it really is cutting edge stuff it really is cutting edge stuff and, and the time
3: to get in on it is right now.
0: I think so, too. By the way, Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm on the line with us. I know you're probably thinking, okay, why is an attorney talking about media? Well, he's got a background in it. And, uh, what years did you work at KFGO, did you say?
6: I was at KFGO right after I graduated from NDSU in the spring of 05. I spent a year working for the big redhead himself. So uh, Eddie, Eddie Schultz, oh, no kidding! Eddie, took me in. Yeah, big Ed took me in, and I, I learned how to do a soundboard. Uh, Folks will remember Tank McNamara. He had left for another opportunity, and and Ed was looking for a new guy, and it just so happened I had planned to take a year off between college and law school and was kind of working somewhere where it was kind of just a temp thing for a year, and Ed heard about that. So I worked for him for about, I think, 14 to 18 months, but then as I was going through law school, I'd, I'd come back, and he'd have me doing random projects and working on different things for him, and, and I'd fly back to Fargo and fill in uh, during law school breaks on his show, running the boards, and helping to produce the show and come up with content, so I really got a, a first-hand, uh, you know, doctorate-level education in radio from from Ed, seeing how he did it every day, and I think there's different things I learned from him, and, and obviously, there's never, whether folks loved him or hate him, Ed, Ed was, you know, really, really good at radio. Oh, he was fantastic. I don't know know that, though. Yeah, and I don't know that there will ever be another Ed Schultz, but I just learned a lot of things for that uh, 14 or 18 months, every day sitting next to him in the studio and how he did things. So that's kind of how I grew up in the radio uh, business and then just stayed passionate about it. And especially for someone like me, the the real interesting thing is as many miles as I put on driving to Western North Dakota or flying all over the country for oil and gas related things, you know, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts and I'm listening to the radio all the time. So just different things that a guy picks up on. And, and you really, you know, what Ed used to always say, you know, he, he obviously had the TV show, but his, his comment was it gets in your blood. And, and once radio and talk is in your blood, it's something that even though I'm a lawyer now it's something I'm still really passionate about, and it's more than you know just a hobby, obviously, starting a podcast and a radio show and putting the time into it, but it's just such a great great platform for telling stories.
0: I'm going to put it out there right now. If there's anyone listening who would sponsor a uh, Ed Schultz story, either a documentary or a movie, I would gladly spearhead that. That would Could you imagine his life story on the big screen? That would be amazing. I mean, that man would make a boring football game seem like it was the Super Bowl just on the radio. His 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 tone and his his language and just his grasp of the game made made it exciting. Made eight you know four and four teams exciting to listen to on the radio. Do you remember that?
6: I, I do, and and I've got to share a story. Uh, one of my favorite Big Eddie stories. I'll, I'll share it with the listeners. And here's the flavor. For what a documentary could be and there's probably hundreds of stories like this I was out in Denver with Ed for a conference back in 2008 I had a break during law school and I was out doing different things during the day and Ed and a uh, couple other folks on his team were doing a few things and the plan was to meet at John Elway Steakhouse in Denver one night so I, I get done with the meeting I'm at and, and I go to John Elway Steakhouse and, and Ed and his wife Wendy and another guy on his uh, on his team are sitting there at a table, and I sit down, and they've all got these uh, these cat-like grins on their faces, and I'm thinking, you know, what are they grinning about? What is what is so you know darn funny going on? And Ed gives a head nod to a table next to us, and 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 sitting literally at the table next to us is Charles Barkley. So uh, we're not going to say anything to him interrupt his dinner, but he interrupts our dinner. So after about five minutes of sitting down, Charles Barkley walks up to the table and says, Big Eddie, my brother, Big Eddie, Ed Schultz. And, and we're thinking, how does Charles Barkley know who Ed Schultz is? And this is before Ed had his MSNBC show. Big Eddie, I see you all the time on CNN, man. And it went on like that for 10 minutes where Barkley is just talking to us. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This is the round mound of rebound Charles Barkley just shooting the breeze with us. And he, you know, Charles buys us a drink. And then, uh, you know, as, as says it's farewell, the next day we're at this big, uh, this, this grill and, and sports bar in downtown Denver for some radio thing. And Barkley walks in and, and a lot of people in TV and radio are in this, this same restaurant, you know, people from CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. And you know, you have got advisors for a bunch of different political campaigns in there. Yeah, and Charles Barkley walks in And even for them the record stops They're thinking holy cow that's Charles Barkley And we're sitting kind of in a corner Off to ourselves and the first thing Charles Barkley says
0: GD man it
6: shows I can't get away from you anywhere, brother
0: And that was Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm And the North Dakota State Bison Illustrated Podcast To listen to the full length interview or to check out Other exclusive interviews visit Thecrudelife.com That's thecrudelife.com that's going to do it for this week's program on the Crude Life Week in Review. We'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. I'd like to thank you folks very much for tuning in. If you're checking us out on the internet or maybe through one of our podcast locations like iTunes, thank you very much too. There's a lot of places to get content, so we appreciate you checking out our exclusive interviews right here at the Crude Life Media Network like to thank Jeff Simon with the Western Dakota Energy Association, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, and Josh Swanson with Vogel Law Firm and the North Dakota State Bison Illustrated Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us this week on the Crude Life Week in Review. From the staff at the Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spees asking you to keep calm and frack on.